Welcome to Built Brave. Driven women sharing their stories to show others what is possible for them. Because we were all born brave. I'm your host, Lo Wentworth, and this is Built Brave. Are you ready? Hey everyone, welcome back. I'm excited for today's guest. She has a very diverse, dynamic background, definitely brave, brave, brave woman. She was a Navy translator. She got out of that. She's now a zero waste activist and has her own eco-friendly beauty home goods company. And I wanted to give you a little snippet before we got into today's episode to explain more about it from her. And with that, let us begin. Conscientious objection, I don't recall off the top of my head from where that term originated or its its usage in the military. I'm sure that it's been around for a long time because militaries have, have existed pretty much as long as humans have, have been in quote-unquote civilization. Um, but I know it really became a mainstream term uh, in the Vietnam War because there were so many people who did not agree with the U.S. government being involved in, in the Vietnam War. Um, and there were a lot of people who refused to participate, um, draft or no draft. And... Um, conscientious objector is oftentimes associated with uh, the Quaker religion because they are pacifists. They don't believe in violence. And um, so the military does um, recognize that and, and grants conscientious objector status for religious reasons. Um, but it's also become recognized just for ethical reasons. I'm not religious myself. I'm atheist. Um, but not being religious doesn't mean that I don't have a, a strong set of moral, what's right and what's wrong. Um, and, and so that is, is the process. Um, the conscientious objector process was really long and detailed. And I, I wrote a, a 28 page essay about my beliefs and my background and, and what led me to the values that I, I held that, um, prevented me from being able to do my military duties because they were in direct um, disalignment with with my core values. So yeah, a conscientious objector is somebody who conscientiously objects to whatever it is that's happening. That's, That's the basic definition. Hey everyone, welcome back. It is Thursday. So since it's Thursday, it's another guest episode and I'm excited to have this guest on. She reached out to me. I looked up and I'm just like, wow, she is really interesting, has a lot going on. So it's going to be a very fun and interesting episode for everyone, which is what is needed for right now during this time. So Callie, can you take it away and let people know who you are and what you're about? Well, first, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I'm excited to chat with you today. Um, I, what I do boils down to I am a sustainability activist. And um, the way that I am trying to advocate for the environment is um, first through the two businesses that I own, Bestowed Essentials, which is a handmade production company. We make and wholesale eco-friendly products and refillable products um, to over 150 stores around the U.S. and Canada. And so we're trying to make sustainable alternatives for your day-to-day life more accessible, more affordable, um, and getting them into small communities all around the world, um, or all around North America for now, I should say, eventually someday around the world. And then we also have our own zero-waste store in Rapid City, South Dakota, and that's called Hippie Haven. Um, we do a lot of community, well, normally we do a lot of community events. I I have to to change my wording right now. Um, we're kind of pivoting to, to a lot more online content and and online live events right now. Um, 
when, when it's safe to do so, we do a lot of community events and swaps. We have a community garden, we have a free lending library, we do recycling. Um, and then we, we also sell a lot of bulk and refillable beauty and cleaning products here. Um, and then on top of that, I also teach sustainability workshops, um, both here in the Black Hills of South Dakota and, and all over the country. I do a lot of public speaking about zero waste and how to reduce your impact on the environment. Um, and then I work with other zero waste business owners who are getting their own zero waste businesses started all over the U.S. Mm. How did you get into zero waste? So for me, it started from watching a documentary on Netflix called A Plastic Ocean. And that documentary just blew my mind. It introduced me to the Great Pacific Ocean Garbage Patch, um, which is three times the size of Texas. And it's this garbage, literal garbage that is floating in the way it's been caught in these currents of the Pacific Ocean. And so it's all grouped together. And it's just, it's absolutely horrifying because that that patch that's floating all together three times the size of of texas is um only a tiny bit of the amount of trash that's in the ocean um not to mention all the trash that's in landfills and the the microplastics that are in our water and in our soil and in the food that we eat um and so that that one documentary just sparked something inside of me and and I did so much research you know I was googling all this stuff about plastic usage and that really changed the direction of of my life and my career and and my business model from there what year was that that was 2017 and okay. I I had just started bestowed essentials um so you know I was just starting with with making um vegan and cruelty free products all natural ingredients um but at the time i hadn't really ever given much thought to the packaging and so we were using plastic packaging and i immediately switched over to to glass or cardboard or we have a lot of things that are unpackaged as much as possible too so with the packaging i know for myself i've shifted towards using more glass less plastic as much as possible just for like different things um, but what is it like you don't put into packages then like soap bars, different types of soap? Yep. So we, um, try to do solid products as much as possible okay. versus liquid products. Um, they use a lot less water to manufacture. Um, there's less water in them too. So the, the carbon emission isn't as much. You're getting a more concentrated product. We also do a lot of powders. Um, so what comes without packaging is our soap bars, our shampoo bars, our dish soap blocks, our solid lotion bars, and then we also offer bulk refills a lot of, of a lot of things. And so you can order it in the, the standard packaging once, and then you can order a large quantity to be able to refill that same container over and over. What was your first pot product you created? It all started with soap, actually. When I very first started, it was just a soap company. Um, and, and now we've grown so much since then, but those are still definitely one of the, the biggest selling products that we do. Was it hand soap, hair soap, face soap, all soap? Um, hand and body. They work for hand and body. Yeah. Okay. So you got into sustainability from watching the documentary, but you were, you were a vegan and like cruelty free advocate before then. Like, how did you get into that? I don't, um, I think I actually, I think my, my journey into veganism came from watching, um, oh, what was it called? What the Health on, on Netflix. Um, and that just kind of inspired me to start looking more at what I was eating. Um, and I started using cruelty-free like skincare products and everything long before I went vegan. Um, cause for me for the longest, it, it wasn't so hard to give up meat, but I was like, I can never stop eating cheese. That's impossible. Um, so it was a lot easier to start with cruelty-free skincare and, and cosmetic products. Um, and then just transitioned slowly from, from vegetarian into vegan. Um, and you know, luckily even a few years ago, it was a lot more difficult, but luckily nowadays there are so many amazing vegan alternatives on the market and just more resources to learn how to veganize your favorite recipes and to be able to still eat all the same foods that you love just without any cruelty or dead animals in them. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting. See, I'm lactose intolerant 
And so I can't have any dairy products and people like you can take a pill for that and all of that. I'm like, no, I don't want to do any of that. But when I tell people that they're like, oh, you're vegan, right? I go, no, (laughs) I am not vegan. Like I like, you know, I love what you're doing. You know, I advocate for individuality, but I sit there and I'm thinking like, how does lactose intolerant translate into vegan? Cause I'm also very straightforward. I'd be like, if I was vegan, I'd be straight with you. I'm like, I'm vegan. <laughs> but that is my own little story into that. So that's just, that's interesting. Um, how you're like, I can see like the through line of like starting this in, in this passion, but I want to dive back a little deeper into your own backstory because you didn't start out doing this. You have a very interesting history from what I've learned so far about you. So when I first went vegan and when I first started Bestowed Essentials, I was actually active duty in the Navy and I was a translator um, in the U.S. Navy and I um, kind of had a a spiritual awakening um, in starting in 2016 and definitely still continuing to this day. Um, But, you know, everything just kind of came about in my life at, at kind of all at once. Um, and it, it was pretty overwhelming, but you know, I, I think that's how a lot of spiritual awakenings are is, is you hit rock bottom and, and realize that you've got to go up from there. Um, so I actually left the Navy as a conscientious objector and, and that came about, um, from the, the mission that I was working on. I was involved in a mission, um, in the, the global war on terrorism and, um, just saw the 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 greed of the U.S. government and um, was really horrified to witness the usage of child soldiers on the other side, and then within my own Navy community, um, the alienation and the inhuman inhumanization of um, Arab people, Muslim people, people living in, in the Middle East altogether, the, the racism and xenophobia. Um, and it, you know, I joined the Navy because I wanted to make a difference in the world. And when I joined right out of high school, it was just a, such a broad dream, wanting to change the world, make a difference. No idea how, but, you know, for a, a girl like me from a, a low income background, no college, the military was really the only option I had to get out of my town. Um, to ever make something of my life. And I am very grateful to have had that opportunity and I learned so much from it. And I think it definitely has made me a better business owner because the the discipline and, and routine that, that that time in the military instilled in me. Um, but I also feel a lot of, of guilt and regret for the, the minuscule um, participation I, I undertook in some really just evil, inhumane things that, that the U.S. government does. So I'm glad to to not be part of that anymore and, and to be able to dedicate my life to really trying to actually make a difference now and, and that um, now being on the side of environmentalism. Hmm. It's interesting that you regret that period in your life just because like getting to know you, hearing what you're saying, because to me, it's just like, well, you didn't know when you went in. You didn't know yeah. any of this when you went in. <laughs> Yeah, I was blissfully unaware. I mean, I signed up when I was 19 and I I did not follow world events whatsoever. You know, of course, I was a kid when 9-11 happened. I was aware the war in Iraq, the war in Afghanistan. I had heard of all of these things, but I was so uneducated about everything. And and then as well, doing the work that I did and, and having a top secret security clearance and learning the things that I learned that aren't um, public knowledge for, for American citizens was just horrifying. Um, and I, I hope that the work I'm doing now makes up for, for the, the work that I did then in the Navy that I, I feel like, um, made the world a worse place for a lot of people. Hmm. Well, if you didn't have that experience, you wouldn't be recreating what you're creating now. That's true. Yeah, that's definitely true. 
And I just look at the positive things and things, even though it's just like, I don't know what you went through. I can see that it was, it still is something you are challenged with coming to terms with, which is natural and fine because it's the human experience. But I think without it, you wouldn't be such an advocate like you are now. Yeah, that is definitely true. So besides the discipline you learned in the military, what else have you or set of tools do you see have served you in your business, in your advocacy, and who you are stepping into now? I think, well, I'm definitely, I, I definitely have the, the dedication and um, the, the personal willpower to, to do whatever it takes. You know, I, I learned, you know, to do whatever it takes to get the mission done. And I'm definitely applying that same skills in, in business um, and, you know, putting in the long hours that are, are required to really get something significant off the ground in the first few years of, of starting a business. And then I think as well, um, I learned how not to manage people. I learned what a bad leader looks like. <laughs> Saw quite a lot of those in the military. You know, the military, you're oftentimes promoted um, just because you've been there for a long time and because you've made friends with the right people. It's not not based on merit as much as it should be at all. Um, and so I, I learned a lot from those experiences with having bad leaders of the type of, of boss that I want to be and how I want to lead a team. And um, especially in the military too, it's uh, very predominantly male um, and very testosterone based, very toxic masculinity. Um, so I, I definitely, as a leader, want to be compassionate and kind. And um, I think in the military, as, as a female in the military, you are kind of ex expected to suppress your feminism, your your femininity. Um, and I want I want um, my feminism to be in full force as a leader. I want to take all of those stereotypical characteristics of the, that are considered feminine. And, and that's how I want to lead. Have you started leading that way? I hope so. <laughs> would oh, be how? Oh, Sorry. how? Um, um, I think, like I said, compassion, um, really taking the time to get to know my team, not as people who work for me, but as people, as human beings. And I think that's often missing, not just in the military, um, but in a lot of corporate environments as well. Um, getting, getting to know them as people and being graceful about, um, you know, everybody has off days and people shouldn't be evaluated just based on their productivity or what they can give to you, but who they are and who their soul is um, and, and what their passions are. Um, you know, understanding that uh, mental health days are incredibly important. I wish we'd had those in the military. Um, and, and just being flexible too, I think is really important. Hmm. I think being flexible is a massive lesson the whole world is getting yeah, <laughs> right, yeah, now. Definitely right now. Among other things that are going on right now. Um, but with the toxic masculine, how have you or how did you start like counteracting that within your own self and start like healing from it? Oh, that is a really good question. Um, I think it starts with grace. Um, I know that I do put too much pressure on myself, um, as I think a lot of people do. And as right now, kind of that mindset is changing, but I put a lot of pressure on myself, um, you know, grind culture, hustle culture. And, um, I, I definitely learned that in the military and that's a good thing to work hard is absolutely a good thing. And, and that is a skill that, that everybody should have. Um, but knowing when to turn that off is equally important as well. Um, 
And I think it is a very masculine trait to, to, to grind, grind, grind. And, um, you know, I think it is a, a feminine trait to, or seen as a feminine trait to slow down and to listen and to respect what your body is telling you. Um, and so that's something that I've, I've been trying to work on and especially now more than ever. Mm-hmm. That's something I always, I'm always working on that one, like listening to my body today alone. I could tell like my body was just extra tired. And again, it was kind of like, I need to get this done. I need to get this done. And I'm like, no, I have a podcast interview. I'll, that will just be my one thing today where I just put all my energy into it and I will just take a nap. It'll be fine. I'll get everything I need to get done, done. Um, so yeah, how have you been getting back into your body? I'm just curious. Um, eating healthy is the first thing to fall when I'm not listening to my body and the, the first um, habit that I try to pick back up once I become conscious of it. I, I know just in the last two weeks, you know, things have been really hectic. And for public health, we've had to close our storefront that we only just opened four months ago. So that, that's been devastating. And we're trying to pivot to online sales and curbside pickup and, and kind of just temporarily changing our business model. Um, and then dealing with um, you know, supply chain interruptions and employees having to self-isolate for two weeks and, and all of that. There's been a lot, a lot of stress and pressure on my shoulders um, as a small business owner to be, because my employees' livelihoods rely on me. Um, and so I, I've just in the last couple of days recognized that I have not been eating three meals a day. I eat maybe one, one and a half. And, and so I, um, you know, this weekend got to go grocery shopping, meal prep. That is something that helps me so much is just dedicating like half a day to getting all of my meals for the entire week. And then when I am at work, I've got healthy food available to me. Um, and, and it's there and, and I can just heat it up real fast and, and make sure that I'm eating. Um, and then taking more time to read as well. Reading is one of the best ways for me to quiet my mind, um, and kind of just get lost, escape into another world basically. And, and so I'm trying to, to pick up a book every night and do that before bedtime instead of scrolling on my phone or feeling like, Oh, I, I should reply to this business email. I'm like, no, I'm at home. I'm turning business off and, and focusing on myself. Has that been your biggest struggle as to like, f like putting the laptop away for your business so that you can just like focus? I'll just say like the laptop since everyone's working from home and like closing it and putting it away. Mm -hmm. But has that been the biggest struggle for you? Yeah. Yeah. I think it has been, especially, um, my, my partner was here with me for a while, um, but he is a French citizen. And so when they started canceling international flights, he had to jump back on, on one of the last flights to get back home to France. And so we have no idea when we're going to see each other again. Um, and that just happened, uh, uh, not that long ago, March 22nd. So, um, you know, going through that emotional turmoil as well. I was just after he left throwing myself into work and working 12 hour days because it was lonely to go home to an empty house without him. Um, but yeah, like I said, I realized that I was pay moving back into bad habits again and, and, you know, right now trying to regain those healthier habits. Mm. That's so easy to do in times of stress, not just what's going like a world pandemic going on, but like in life in general, so how are you and your partner navigating all of this? Well, we're still trying to figure that out for sure. Um, you know, like I said, we have no idea when we're going to be able to see each other again, which is incredibly difficult. Um, so I, I think the only way to get through it is to take it one day at a time. And, you know, there's an eight-hour time difference between us now. So 
I Skype with him in the morning for about an hour before I go to work as I'm getting ready and, and then um, take an hour out of my work day around like 3 p.m. for me because that's when he's going to bed and, and make sure that we chat. Um, and uh, there's a, a Google Chrome app called Netflix Party and you can watch Netflix together. And, and so we'll have our little date nights once a week and, and watch Netflix. Um, and yeah, just communication is so important in any relationship and especially a long distance one. The only thing you can do is communicate. And so that's the only way to really get through it. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that. Cause I know someone listening needed to hear that whether they have a partner in a foreign country right now or, you know, hours away because we can't visit each other at the moment. Um, Yeah, of course. It's really difficult. So how did you two meet? I'm really curious about that one. Um, I was, I went to Marseille on vacation for a month last year and, um, my Airbnb host, uh, she was the sweetest and she invited me to go to this, uh, health and wellness expo with her that was right down the street. And so I, I went and it was just, uh, just like a movie. Basically I was walking through looking at all these different booths and I, up ahead, I saw this really hot guy and just like that feeling right away that I was like, oh, damn, like he's hot and I have to go say hello. And then I got super shy and um, he was selling chocolate. Um, And so like I went up and I bought a bar of chocolate from him and made a little bit of small talk. And then I left and then I was like, no, I got to go. Like I should ask him out. And so I I did. I, I asked him out and he said yes. And then we were inseparable the rest of the time that I was there in, in Marseille and and um, since I came back to the U.S. we've we're long distance for a few months and then he um, came out here to spend would have been three months but you know it got a, cut a little short um, and we'll see what happens <laughs> when this is all over the you know as soon as it's over and it's safe to travel either he'll come back here or I'll go back to Europe to be with him for as long as a travel visa will last. That's amazing. And that's just like, so interesting. I'm just really curious, like how people meet, like you were on a vacation, having your own thing, got invited to something and went. Now, do you speak French? (laughs) No. Okay. (laughs) Um, I I studied it for two years uh, in high school, but I I mean, I could get around in, in France. Mm-hmm. I, I could order at restaurants and ask for directions and introduce myself. Um, but my pronunciation is is awful. So um, I, I try to talk to to him in French and he's just like, please stop. You're, you're messing up everywhere. <laughs> but his, his English luckily is is impeccable. So thank yeah. goodness. Otherwise, we wouldn't have been able to to get to know each other. Um, Well, I visited France, like I studied it in high school, and then I went there again while I was in law school. But it's just really interesting because we were supposed to do like the mini foreign exchange and practice speaking our French. And I go, they automatically just start speaking to us in English because they want to practice their English. And I'm like, okay, cool. That's fine. I have, I know enough to get around. I can, don't ask me to say anything. I can read it. Like, yes, I can know what's in that. I can order that versus some other stuff where I'm like, I I have no idea. So, (laughs) so what languages do you speak then? Um, I was an Arabic translator in the Navy. So I used to be, uh, pretty proficient in Arabic, but I have not practiced it or or kept up with it whatsoever since I got out over two years ago. Um, So I I can definitely still read it, but my auditory skills, I think, have gone down the drain. I definitely don't comprehend much from listening anymore. Um, And then also, I'm just, I'm not an auditory processor I'm, I'm not sure what the right phrase is to begin with um i am a visual person so i can read a newspaper or a, like high school level book in german french um spanish and arabic but 
to have a conversation or to listen to a speech which is just out of out of my abilities unfortunately well everyone's a different learner i know i'm a visual and reader sometimes audio but i can like tune that out and be like wait what did that person say but how did you become a translator in the navy to begin with i have always loved languages so i i took um I studied Spanish for six years, German for four years, and French for two years. Um, and when I joined the Navy, it was specifically to be a translator. And I had, I had always loved French, French culture. Um, so I was really hoping that they would make me a French translator, but they don't really need French translators. They needed Arabic, of course, with, with world events. And so that's what I became. And I went to the, the military's language institute um, and was paid to learn Arabic, which was really cool. Um, but uh, being a professional translator, I think kind of destroyed my passion for languages, mm. um, which, which is unfortunate. So I, like I mentioned, I haven't done much language, uh, any type of language training since I got out besides the finally fulfilling my dream of, of going to France and practicing a little bit there. But as you mentioned, like most French people know English and they're so excited to use their English. And so I didn't even have the opportunity to use much French because as soon as I got one word out, they're like, oh yeah, you're, you're not a native speaker. You're clearly English. So let me just use English with you. So it was, it was very easy to get around France. Mm -hmm. Just like automatic. It's just so interesting because my French teacher would get so mad at us and we're like, it's not us. We tried. <laughs> they just did. They're like, oh, you're American. We'll have a, have that conversation. Um, but I think it might pick up language again. I think there's still some and like, I don't want to use the word trauma, but still some like negative connotations associated with the military and language and which is, which is okay. I know I've had some of mine, like with getting into sports and doing yoga again and working out being like different things have gone on where I'm like, I don't want to do that. Like I'm avoiding it. I've started doing yoga again, but I was avoiding it for the longest time. Cause it's just like, it's just you and your mat. Sometimes I did not want to hang out with myself. <laughs> I did not want to go in those nooks and crannies. Yeah, there's definitely some, still some trauma or just sensitivity um, that I have not dealt with, haven't wanted to deal with, and, and haven't needed to deal with yet. But I, I know that I will at some point need to overcome that from, from my time in the military. Um, but yeah, hopefully, hopefully I will pick up language again at some point. It's just, uh, just not something that's, that's been a priority right now with everything else that I'm doing. Um, but I do know at some point I would like to get involved, um, with some conscientious objector groups and help talk to other people because once I started going through things and it, it took a year actually to go through the process of getting discharged as a conscientious objector so it was an entire year that I still had to do my job and, and to be in uniform serving as I was waiting to get out and I had countless conversations with my fellow sailors and, and I was I was on an air, army base actually so not just sailors but soldiers and airmen and marines um, and there were a surprising number of people who felt similar to the way that I did. Um, but so many of them were scared to, to give up that steady paycheck, that free healthcare, uh, especially people who had families and had been in the military since right out of high school and didn't know what civilian life would be like. And that was too scary. And um, I think there's a lot of, of, people in the military who join and regret it or maybe not maybe regret is too strong of a word but question what they're doing mm -hmm. and if it's the right thing to be doing and so at some point in my life I, I'd like to to be able to talk to more people 
um, currently serving and, and help them work through what they're going through since I've been there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's the most effective like change you can do with that. Like you've experienced that, but you also got to put your healing on first and you'll get there. It's like one bite of the elephant at a time. Yes, definitely. Yeah. So what made you decide to jump ship and go to the military? Like what was your deciding factor besides like, why did you want to get the F out of wherever you were living? That was exactly what my answer was going to be to get the F out of, <laughs> of my hometown. Um, you know, un unfortunately I had, a. Uh, a very abusive, traumatic childhood. And um, I've been estranged from my parents since the day I turned 18 and, and moved out. Um, and so I was working um, in high school and, and after high school, you know, trying to put a roof over my head and, and pay for food. And it was exhausting. I was working two or three minimum wage jobs and I could barely meet ends meet. And one day a Navy recruiter worked, walked into the, the store I was working at and handed me his card and told me that, um, you know, if, if I ever had dreams of doing something more than that with my life to give him a call and who can say no to that? You know, I did have dreams of, of doing more than that. I was working, I was a copy and print girl and I did not want to make copies for the rest of my life. So, um, and like I said, I, I had, been passionate about languages and so when i found out that the military would pay me to learn to to learn a language i was like sign me up that sounds amazing i'm gonna travel the world i'm gonna learn a language i'm i'm totally on board so it is what it is hindsight's 2020 for sure it's part of who we are if we didn't have those experiences we wouldn't be able to create the change or the impact that we want to create or are meant to create yeah so i mean you'll get there i've i have personally like made peace with regretting my past because it's like one i didn't know better i didn't know what i didn't know two it's because of that experience like for me law school was really traumatic for me and that was just going through that and being like I needed to go through law school for that reason to be able to be the woman I am now and grow from that and learn and be able to communicate with people at that level of language. So like, just like you're interested in foreign languages, I'm very interested in how people speak in their own different languages from the people who work at the gas station to the people all the way higher up. So that way, like they can feel connected and seen. And it's just interesting, like seeing that and then seeing like the through, through thread of all of that, even like their own experiences being like, you know, you're not much different from the person at the gas station than you are like an attorney. Like you're, we're all similar. Yeah, it's um, <laughs> it's a process. Yeah, mm -hmm. but everything I believe firmly that everything happens for a reason. And I saw a quote on Instagram actually just mm, a couple months ago, um, something about forgive yourself for what you did when you were in survival mode, and that really resonated with me, and and is something that I'm working on. Mm -hmm. And something really big for someone who grew up in a traumatic background as well. It's like survival mode. You are doing what you could to survive. Just like the different things going around on Instagram where people are like, you should use this time. So like the hustle culture is still coming through, but then it's also some people who are using this hustle, hustle, maybe they get out of it. They've learned that they actually need to be putting themselves first that there is power in the rest and self-care and pause. And maybe there are some people who are just surviving and that's okay. Like Absolutely. Healing yeah. is different for other people. People going through trauma is different. People process it differently. So it's just one of those things where it's like the cookie cutter mindset like does not work. It's being blown up right now. 
Yeah, I see so many people on Instagram who are learning how to make a sourdough bread and doing all these arts and crafts and all these these incredible projects. And I'm so glad that they have the time to learn these new skills. And but for me, that's just not where I'm at. You know, I, I am working just as much, if not more than ever, to to make sure that our, our small and still relatively new business gets through this, especially with having to close our storefront right now. Um, so, you know, it's just, it's just not for me to, to start baking my own bread and, <laughs> you know, doing all these, I see people who are reading a book a day and I'm like, that's great. But, you know, that's not for me. And I think it is so important for everyone to remember that, that our lives are different and our journeys are different. And, we should not be comparing ourselves to other people on the internet at all and just do what's right for you. So what have you been doing to pivot your business at the moment, to pivot with the times? We are focusing so much more on online sales right now. We've had um, an online store for uh, over two years. And, and so that's already a, a pretty decent revenue stream on its own. Um, but that was for customers all over the country. And now we're pivoting on trying to get our rapid city customers to be using, utilizing our online store. Um, the, you know, people who are used to being able to just come in and get whatever they want. Um, and we had so many incredible community events planned here at our store as well. And so we're trying to, to move those online and, and hosting um, a lot of Instagram lives, but of course there's just some things that, that you can't do online or it's not the same, at least, you know, one of the, the huge events that we had coming up, um, that was going to have, we had expected about 500 people was a plant and seed swap and you can't do a plant and seed swap over the internet, um, on Instagram live. And so that's something that's just had to be canceled. And we were also going to, um, be putting together a veg fest as well. And, and that's not something that we are able to move online, unfortunately. So working more on, on informational workshops on, um, you know, while we can't do a plant and seed swap, we can do a planting party at least. So for anybody who has already got some seeds or something started, we can, we can work on planting our gardens all together at the same time. So that's something that we're doing. Um, and then also back in our, our 2020 planning session in November, one of my team members had brought up the idea of starting a YouTube channel. And I was just like, well, I love that, but where on earth do we have the time to do that? And well, now we have the time and more people are online than ever before and more people are watching YouTube videos than ever before. So we've been filming a lot of YouTube content lately. And, and so we're working on getting those videos edited and, and launching a YouTube channel in the next two weeks. So yeah, we'll see. Things um, are changing. It, it seems almost every day and new information is coming out on almost every day. And but of course, we still have no idea when this is going to be over. So it is hard to plan under those circumstances, but doing the best that we can to continue serving as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Which is what everyone is doing right now. But what from the YouTube video content, what video or topic are you most excited about sharing with the world? Ooh, um, well, we have so much different content planned. Um, I think hmm, what comes to mind immediately is showing a day in the life of each of our employees, um, because that's going to entail not just what their, their job in the sustainability field looks like. Um, cause of course that's a, a question that I see in, in the sustainability community is like, well, I want to do something to help the planet, but, but how on earth do you make money and work in sustainability? So being able to show that aspect, the, the zero waste career, and then also showing how each of us incorporates zero waste practices in our day-to-day -day lives when our lives look so different you know um some of my team members have partners and kids and some of us are single and live alone in a tiny studio apartment and some of us have pets and and so saying zero waste is not zero zero waste is not perfect um but seeing how we are each trying in our day-to-day -day lives is is um one of the the videos that i'm most excited to be getting out soon hmm. 
That sounds like a fun one. It gives different perspectives and different ideas about how people, even if they don't want to or think they can go for the whole like zero waste mindset, but they're wanting to lessen their own impact on the world. I think that's really a great video to show them different types of options. Yeah, I think it is really important to say as well um, for any of our listeners who haven't heard of zero waste, Zero waste was originally an industrial term. And so using it at an individual level is, um, it, it's actually pretty misleading. It's just, it's unfortunately the, the term that stuck and beca- became most common. And so a lot of people have heard of the term zero waste at this point, even if they don't know entirely what that entails. Um, low waste or low impact is um, much more suitable. It's, you know, Zero waste is about doing the best that you can as often as you can to reduce your impact on um, on on the environment, on animals, um, reducing your carbon footprint, reducing the amount of single-use plastic you're using, reducing the amount of food that um, is being imported from overseas all of that and it's it's taking a very holistic approach so it's really not just about your trash it's it's about so much more than that um and yeah it it all comes down to just doing the best that you can and knowing that your best can look totally different from somebody else's best um but as long as you're doing what you're able to do as it fits into your life that's what's important i didn't know it was an industrial term yeah, it, I think it came about in the eighties, the and and it was in regards to the um, manufacturing to landfill mm-hmm. mentality, the the linear economy that we have, um, wanting to move more towards a circular economy. Um, right now, we're lucky if a product or a, a material is recycled once before it inevitably lands up, ends up in a landfill or worse in the ocean or being consumed by uh, an animal or, or us human animals, which is happening so much more often than I would hope that I would want. Most things are, are going to landfill maybe once before they're inevitably inevitably lending, uh, ending up in a landfill, but zero waste is trying to get more towards a circular economy in which landfill is never an option. We are continuing to reuse things as much as possible um, for their original purpose and then finding other ways to reuse them, whether that's breaking them down, using them as building material or materials that can be composted and returned back to the earth, that type of thing. So for someone who is wanting to start lessening their impact on the environment, what is like one of like the top five steps or three steps, whatever steps you would suggest to them to get started? Well, this isn't something that everybody likes to hear, but studies prove that the most impactful thing an individual can do to reduce their impact on the planet is to consume a plant-based diet. And that doesn't mean that you have to go 100% vegan. A plant-based diet means that you are consuming primarily plants. And those are your vegetables, fruits, legumes, grains. Um, You can get all of the nutrients, including all of the protein that you need from a plant-based diet. And there's so many amazing resources available um, on the the internet and and other media sources. for how to consume a balanced diet, how to be plant-based on a budget, um, you know, all, all these different resources. So that is where I always advocate that, that people start. And not just for the environmental uh, impact, but for the health benefits and for the ethical reasons as well. You know, everyone has compassion. Everyone wants to be kind. Nobody wants to intentionally cause hurt. And, um, you know, the, I, f- I forget who the quotes by, but there's a quote that, you know, if slaughterhouses had glass walls, everybody would be vegan. Um, so that is definitely where I recommend starting. Um, something that might be easier to start with though, is to do a trash audit. 
And that sounds kind of crazy, but um, save your trash for at least a week and then spread it out, you know, on a tarp or a, a big plastic bag, use gloves if, if that's what you need to do, but sort through your trash, categorize it, see what is adding up because for almost everybody trash when, you know, it's out of sight, out of mind. And we really don't realize how much we're throwing away, how much we're consuming in the first place. And so a trash audit, audit is the best place to start to help you see that so that you know what you can change and think about things that you could use less of or switch for something reusable or make your own, whatever it entails. Um, and then um, after you've done that trash of it, you'll also have a better idea of, of what single use items you're using. And so it's important to be rethinking our consumption habits and doing a, a lot of easy swaps instead of reaching for paper towels. When you spill something, can you use a rag to clean it up? Um, I know not many people are going out to restaurants right now. And if you are, I, I hope that you don't go out to restaurants right now but you know when that is a normal part of our our lives again ask for no straw that is one of the easiest things you can do and um you know is is that gonna solve the climate crisis no but taking those tiny steps and getting into daily habits is building a foundation to be able to then take more community action from there. And then I think that's, that's the last uh, tip that I would have is to get more involved in the community. Um, normally, when I'm answering that kind of question, I recommend going to community events and seeing if there is any like zero waste groups or vegan groups or anything like that near you. Um, but of course that isn't an option right now. So right now, I would say that it's been a beautiful thing to see the number of mutual aid groups that are popping up. And I would recommend seeing if there's a mutual aid group on, on Facebook or on Meetup or um, anywhere in, on your online platforms that's been formed. And if there isn't, to consider forming one yourselves so that um, people in your community, including yourself, can connect with others and you can, can help each other out in whatever way that you're able to offer help. And that, that can look in so many ways that, that could be, um, you know, delivering food or running to the grocery store for someone or somebody that's, I'm, you know, I'm out of diapers. I need diapers. And you're like, oh, I still have a whole bag that my kid outgrew. Let me give them to you, that sort of thing. Um, that is a, a beautiful way to serve our communities right now through, through mutual aid groups. Beautiful. That's a great start. And you brought up a lot of really good points about, you know, the small habits are what build the strong foundation. It's not always the massive change that is needed. It's actually the little things. Cause I have a friend who he has created a charity and sells, um, water bottles for, to support their turtles and to get eliminate waste. And he's very big on the straw thing. So that's where I'm like, oh yeah, I totally understand the, the straw thing about like not needing the straw. Like you don't need a straw really. A lot of times you don't. It's yeah. just an easy access. Um, of course. Yeah. That's not to say that I don't, I, I absolutely advocate for massive change. You know, that is how we are truly going to fix the climate crisis. But for most people, uh, massive change is, is just unattainable or, or undoable mm -hmm. in, in our lives. Um, and so those small habits, like I said, starting a foundation to build upon is, is started with small habits. Mm -hmm. So we'll transition into the final questions. Of, I mean, I very much enjoyed this conversation. We've gone in different ways that I'm just like, oh, I did not know about the Navy in that. I did not know um, about some different sustainable things. And so like, first I want to honor you for sharing with me, everything that's coming up for you, especially during this time. And, you know, is really going to help listeners out there, but what's a resource product product. It could be a podcast, whatever that you have found so much value in polybarks.com she is a sustainability educator 
Um, and she talks about the big important things that don't get talked about enough. And she breaks it down into understandable and actionable steps. Um, you know, she talks about environmental racism and wealth redistribution and these, these big, oftentimes overwhelming topics in a way that, you know, for me, I, I don't have an academic background. I don't have a college degree and, um, but I understand it and I can take action. And so I recommend for everybody to go to her website, polybarks.com. Um, and she has, um, she has guides and workshops and workbooks for every single level, whether this is your first time hearing about zero waste or you are someone who wants to completely change their life and, and dedicate their entire life and all of the work you do to environmentalism and or social justice. She's got something for everybody um, in a really approachable, accessible manner. So that is my number one go-to resource to recommend. Where can everyone find you? So you can find us at um, our website, which includes our online store is hippiehavenshop.com. And we're also on Instagram at hippiehavenshop. I have a podcast called Hippie Haven Podcast, um, which can be found on all major podcasting apps or full show notes and transcripts at hippiehavenpodcast.com. And that is where we're talking all about sustainability and how to live harmoniously with ourselves, with others, and with the planet. Um, and then you can also, if you are a retail store interested in stocking some more eco-friendly products, you can check out bestowedessentials.com and you can order our products through FAIR. Beautiful. What would you say has been your bravest moment? Um, I, I think two come to mind and, you know, it's both times that I've picked up and left everything behind and completely started over. And so um, for the first time, that was right after high school when I was 19 and I left um, all of my friends, everything that I knew and joined the Navy and, you know, was my first time on an airplane, which was terrifying. And I had no idea what boot camp was going to be like. And I had no idea where I'd be stationed after that. Um, and then the second time is when I left the Navy and I packed everything I owned into my camper van, including the business that I had, um, you know, just barely started and, and moved everything to South Dakota. Uh, to a state that I had never been to before and until I, I came here and signed a lease on a on a production studio and um, didn't know a single person here and actually until I got to South Dakota I didn't even know which town I was gonna settle down and I was just kind of driving through and picked the one I liked the best so those were hard things to do but so worth it once I did it mm. That's also a beautiful example of trusting your intuition and just leaping. Yes, absolutely. I still to this day have no idea why I felt called to South Dakota of all places <laughs> in the United States. Um, but I am so glad that I came here because, you know, I, I met my two best friends here and they also happen to work for me as well. And the community that we have here, the beautiful store that we have none of this would have happened if I'd picked a different city you know something else would have happened but um I'm glad that this is where I am and what would what is your definition of brave trusting yourself and I think in our society we're told not to trust ourselves um, there's so much advertising and marketing that intentionally manipulates you and manipulates your emotions. Um, and I think trusting yourself and honoring yourself 
is the bravest thing that any person can do. Remembering to come home to yourself above all else. That's what brave is. That's actually a really good definition. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) Totally. I don't know where that came out of in my head, but. Sometimes it's interesting when you get asked questions and then you answer them and you're like, oh, that's actually what I think. Okay. Or it's like gives you a new perspective of like, where did that come from? I can dive in a little deeper there. That was a good quote. I'm like, I I should pull that from the transcript and use that as an Instagram caption. (laughs) I will pull that for you. (laughs) Perfect. Well, Callie, thank you so much for coming on. Like it was a great conversation. Like I said, I've learned so much and thank you so much for sharing. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Built Brave. If you love this episode, heck, if you like this episode, please head on over, give it a rate, review, subscribe, like, shout it out on your social media with your major takeaways and what you loved about the episode. And as always, tag me in that at Low Wentworth because I love hearing what you guys got out of the episodes. And until next time, remember... You've always been brave.